rest of the book of Genesis there. It's a large passage of scripture, and so we have a lot to cover. So I also give in your bulletin a handout if you'd like to follow. Use that along to follow God's message today. Several months ago, as I was weighing different things that are going on in our world, um, I thought, boy, it can be a real challenge, can't it? Things that are going on in some of your lives, it can just be a real challenge on living for the Lord in this day and age. And I thought, when hasn't it been a challenge? We have this idea to think back to the good old days. Guess what was going on back in the good old days? There was still sickness. There was still financial. There were still financial problems. Um, there was still death. Things that happened in families and, and loved ones. Um, jobs lost and things like that. Wars and whatnot. So, as I thought about that, I thought, well, we need to look to the Lord. We need to look in His Word for instruction. How should we respond? Um, is there hope? There sure is. There sure is. And the better you know your God, this is the point especially for today's message, the better you know your God, when you go through these times, the greater trust you will have in those circumstances and the more faithful that you'll be. It can happen that Christians don't know their God as well as they should. And, and what can happen when Christians don't know their God as well as they should? That's when they fly here and there. They're tossed here and there. It's kind of what James talked about. When they don't pray with faith, that's because they don't know their God. They don't believe and trust their God as they ought. Um, and so they're cast by these circumstances, by their own assessments and feelings. And it can also, that lack of knowing God as they ought, that also has an effect on their lives. They're not faithful like they should be. Um, they're seemingly only faithful when life is going good. I have heard, and probably you have as well, folks who say, well, church is for folks who are uh, having a hard time, and things are going really well, so I don't need the Lord. I don't need to go to church. And you've heard the opposite, perhaps. Church is for those uh, whose lives are really going well, and, and I'm having a hard time. And so that's just evaluating things from their perspective, isn't it? That comes from a weak faith. So today's goal from this message is that we will learn to live by faith in a sin-cursed world by knowing our God and who he is and his sovereign purposes and his providence in and through life. Um, understanding this fact. It is a fact that God is sovereign, he is provident, providential, uh, he, he works in circumstances to accomplish his ends. Um, and when you know the Lord this way, that this is who he is, you know what this will do for your Christian? This will help you to have a faith in God view of things, rather than a, well, a hopeless, helpless victim view of things. Do you see the differences there? Same circumstances, but when you know your God and you know who he is and you know Romans 8.28 and you genuinely believe it and you see it from examples like Joseph today, 
and Job next week, and Daniel and his friends and many others, that my God is in control, that gives you in that circumstance a faith in God orientation and outlook, rather than, oh, this is happening to me again. That's a victim mentality. And there's nothing we can do about this. That's a hopeless and a helpless mentality. God doesn't promise that for his people, and that's not why God has us go through these situations. That's not why God has you experience what he does in a sin-cursed world. He has you go through these things so that you will glorify him uh, by trusting him, by obeying him through it. The top of your page there, the main truth that I want us to see from this passage is that God's providential control of a sin-cursed world fulfills his perfect plan. There is not a, as I prayed earlier, there is not a speck of dust anywhere in creation outside of God's control. There's nothing free and floating that has a, a will independent of its own, independent of God. Remember, there's God and everything else. God created the heavens and the earth. That's everything. God created it. He controls it. And he directs it according to his ends. But I described that control as providential. So what is providential? Well, I thought, well, I defined that and we worked through that when we worked through Esther a year or so ago. Everybody remembers that, right? No, I couldn't remember the exact definition either. So let's do a little review. Here's a a definition for you of uh, providence. Providence is God's directing. God's directing everyday life toward his desired ends and purposes. So your two blanks there are directing and desired. Remember that as you go through life. Maybe write that in the flyleaf of your Bible or Maybe in the back of your concordance. I use my concordance as kind of a topical uh, reference thing. So um, in the back of your Bible, you'll have this thing called a concordance that helps you find different passages that use uh, key words. Um, And I use mine as kind of an index of sorts. So if I want to find like something about providence, I'll write in providence in the back there and I'll write scripture passages by it. Or definition. Here's what providence is. God directs everything in life, uh, everyday life, so that his desired ends and purposes are accomplished. We have to also understand this story about Joseph in the context of the book of Genesis. And we always think of Genesis as creation. God made everything. And then Noah's Ark. And then Abraham. These are not just a bunch of details thrown together that Moses thought this would be good to include in a book. Genesis tells about where Israel came from. That's why the creation account is included. Genesis tells where Israel came from as a nation, what God's promises were to the nation of Israel, and his plan and destiny for them. It's all kind of encapsulated in just a couple verses in Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3, when God promised to Abraham he would make him a great nation and a definite land, and he would be a blessing to all the world. There you see where Israel came from, his plan for them, and his purpose for them. That brings us then to Joseph. We read Genesis 37. 
Let's consider number one, Joseph's blessings. And I'll have you remember from chapter 37, verse 2, how old Joseph was at this time. He's just a 17-year-old man. He's at the beginning of life as an adult. 17. Remember when you were 17? Remember how you felt physically when you were 17? Are you looking forward to being 17? Wherever your situation might be. I remember when I was 17, getting ready for my senior year. Man, I can't wait. Let me add them. I can't wait to get done with high school. Couldn't understand why my high school buddies were just, just crying about having to leave high school. I hated high school. I couldn't wait to start it with life. These people are crazy. They're, you know, I want to get started. Let's go. And I didn't grasp it then until my kids started turning 17 and 18 because they started saying when they got to be 17, I can't wait till I can go and leave. And how do you take that as a parent? What do you mean you want to leave? Oh, wait, I did that. You know? Yeah, okay, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. So here's Joseph at the very beginning of his life. What kind of blessings did he have? He had a loving father, didn't he? A father who loved him. He had a comfortable living. God had blessed Jacob with a great crop, a great flocks, a lot of money. God blessed Joseph with the blessings of being in a family that God promised to greatly bless. Joseph was in the family. I want you to get this. Out of the thousands and millions of families in existence then, God only chose one family as the one through whom he would bless. The one who would send him to bless the world. And Joseph was in that family. What a privilege to be in that family. And he had the prospect of a very significant future, Joseph did. He had these two dreams of first his brothers bowing before him and then his entire family, his mom and his dad and his 11 brothers bowing before him and serving him. Boy, imagine having all this. You know it and it's told to you as a 17-year-old. What a great life ahead of me. And then what happened? Number two. Then what happened? Joseph's troubles in a sin-cursed world. Troubles with his family. What kind of troubles? Verse 3, we saw the beginning of some of his troubles. His dad loved him more than his other brothers. That's going to cause a problem. Yep. So much so that in verse 5 and verse 11, he is envied and hated by his brothers. And then in uh, verses 26 to 27 and 31 to 35, we saw how his brothers, what did they want to do to him initially, most of them? They wanted to kill him. But his brothers were more motivated by greed than murder. And so wanting to line their pockets, they said, let's sell him into slavery. Well, what are they going to do with their, about their brother with their dad? They lied about his death to their dad. And so Joseph was taken by these slave traders into Egypt, away from his family. I want you to get this. Away from his family where all that blessing was, away from the land of promise, 
away from the promised blessing. And then number two, he became a slave in Egypt. This brings us to the uh, chapter 37 and 39 especially, so go with me to chapter 39. Here he is, a slave laboring in the house of Potiphar. Potiphar was Pharaoh's, uh, look at chapter 39, verse 1, uh, officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard. That's who Potiphar was. We read in verse 5, So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake, and the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. So we don't know how long this took from the moment of being purchased by Potiphar to being made the overseer of Potiphar's house. We know it wasn't the same day. It was not the same day that he was bought by Potiphar. So however many months and years it was until he became this, to this, uh, this position of being the overseer in charge of Potiphar's house. When he finally got to that point, he experienced a lot of blessing, as much as a slave could have. Don't forget that. He's still a slave. And then, if you remember the story in chapter 39, verses 7 to 12, Potiphar's wife attempted to seduce Joseph. And also by so doing would have made him sin against God. Joseph refused. Time and time again, it was a regular thing that she sought to seduce him. So finally it came to a point she, he left he left her, and then she slanderously accused him of attempting to rape her. And what did Potiphar do? He didn't believe his trusted servant who caused his house to have such blessing. He believed the slanderous accusation and the lie of his wife. And Joseph had to experience great injustice. This is a sin-cursed world, isn't it? And Joseph's experiencing that. I want you to remember on all this, here in Egypt, Joseph's entirely alone, isn't he? Doesn't have a single family member with him. Not a single family member with him. Doesn't have any kind of support group of fellow believers on the Lord. Doesn't have a church. There was no such thing then. No chapel, didn't have a Bible. He didn't even have a pocket New Testament. He's completely alone. Did he know anything? He did know some things. He knew some truths about the Lord. What kinds of truths would he have known about the Lord? Well, he would have known the promises that God made to Abraham, Isaac, and who else? His dad, Jacob. He would have known... The other things that happened before that, how God delivered the world through Noah. He would know about sin and death through Cain and Abel and Adam and Eve. These are truths that were handed down by word of mouth from one family to the next. And Joseph knew these truths because, well, his family taught these truths. His dad taught him these truths. I want you to remember that. Joseph's all alone in a country he doesn't, didn't know the language initially. 
completely alone. He became then, number three, a slave in the prison of Egypt. And he did have, look at verse 22 of chapter 39, he did have some prosperity and success, again, as much as a slave in the prison in Egypt could have. Verse 22, the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. The next chapter, we see how Joseph helped a prominent man in Pharaoh's courts. Helped him understand his dream, gave him hope, and that's exactly what happened. And he asked this man, the, 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 uh, the baker, when you go back, I'm sorry, the baker was hanged, uh, the butler. When the butler went back, tell the Pharaoh so that he knows about this situation, the injustice, but what happened? The butler forgot. The butler forgot. And you look at chapter 41, verse 1, how much more time did Joseph spend in, in prison? 41.1, it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream. Spent another two years in Egypt. Or, I'm sorry, another two years in prison. How, was, how old was Joseph at this time? Well, we know he was... How old when he went down to Egypt? When he was sold, he was 17. Flip ahead to chapter 41 and verse 46. 41, 46. We see here from the Lord, Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. A 17-year-old slave, 30-year-old second in command in Egypt. So where are we now about Chapter 40, 41. He's about 28 years old. About 28 years old. So before we move on to the next point, let's do some recap. Joseph was almost murdered by his brothers. His brothers. Young people, do you always get along with your brothers and sisters? No. Have you ever said, I hate you, to your brothers and sisters? Perhaps. Have you ever hated your brother or sister so much that you actually wanted to kill them? That's what happened here. But they didn't. They sold him into slavery. And you might say, that's even better than killing my brother or sister. Think about that. This, is, this was not the, the situation where we have now where even though the slavery does occur throughout the world, I mean, slavery and in, in, in in Joseph's time, it was a normal part of life. It's hard to grasp, isn't it? And that's what Joseph's brothers did to him. He was taken from the promised land to Egypt because of what his brothers did. He was tempted by Potiphar's wife. What an opportunity. All the suffering that Joseph was going through all the bad things that are happening, what an opportunity to finally have something good feeling happen for Joseph. Perhaps also, what an opportunity to get back at Potiphar who bought me as a slave. Get revenge. But what did Joseph do? He refused. But because he refused, he was accused of a heinous 
terrible crime that he didn't commit. He experienced injustice at the hands of Potiphar instead of true justice. He was thrown into jail. He spent his entire young adult life from 17 to 30 as a slave. 13 to 14 years. Do I have to tell you that life expectancy back then isn't what it was not what it isn't what it is now you get to 30 i mean especially as a slave you don't have much life left and joseph's was just gone what kind of bitterness would this create in our hearts in fact i wonder if joseph said where is god why has he forgotten me doesn't he see? Doesn't he care? Has he forgotten his promises? What about all those dreams I had? How would you feel? How would you act? How would you respond? How would you feel and think and act toward your brothers during those 13 to 14 years? There, you could think, they are the reason that I'm in this predicament. And you wouldn't have thoughts of love and joy about them, would you? Hatred. How would you feel about God who put you here? And what would you think about him? Would you just stop believing in him? I want us to consider now, where was God? What was God doing? And I want you to keep in mind that more than likely, these things were not immediately known or recognized by Joseph, Joseph until later on. So number three, God's providential control in a sin-cursed world. How so? Well, consider Joseph's family. I'm going to start where I began with the other, the other one. Joseph, or Jacob's preferential love for Joseph. Did I say that right? Get the names right. Jacob. Jacob loved Joseph more than his other brothers. Looking at that from the standpoint of God's providence and working in and through a sin-cursed world to accomplish his desired ends. God promised that Abraham and his descendants would grow to be a mighty people dwelling in the land. And how would God do that? Well, one of the ways was through his dad's preferential love. This gave the opportunity for his brothers to hate him, resulting in his being a slave, taken down to Egypt. And what happens to the rest? Second in command, saving, delivering his family from the, uh, the famine. If you know from Exodus, they became a huge nation. God led them out. And God worked through Jacob's loving Joseph more than his other brothers to do that. God worked through his brother's envy and hatred. God worked through the brother's greed that was greater than their desire to kill. God worked through that. 
What about Joseph as a slave in Egypt? Well, the brothers were going to kill Joseph. When did they decide to sell him as a slave? It wasn't they just something that came up out of the blue. It was when those Ishmaelite Midianite slave traders came through. That's when they got the idea. And so I want you to remember, this kind of harkens back to our time in Esther, the Ishmaelites just happened to come through at that right time when Joseph just happened to be in the pit and his brothers were just happening to be de deciding about what are we going to do about this kid. Did this just happen? No. God is in control. And the great blessings that happen through Joseph's oversight in Potiphar's house. Even the lust of Potiphar's wife, she is controlled by her sinful, sensual attraction for Joseph. And what did that result in? It resulted in Joseph going into the prison because of the slander and the imprisonment. It resulted in his being there to interpret the butler and the baker's dreams. And then resulting in his becoming the second in command of Pharaoh himself. He couldn't have planned it that way. But who did plan it that way? A good, perfect, and sovereign God. God allowed sinners' evil feelings, assessments, and decisions. Hear what I'm saying. He allowed, he didn't create that evil in them. He allowed these sinners to give expression to their thoughts, their evil thoughts, their evil feelings. He allowed those evil decisions to occur. He did not create that evil, but he allowed that evil to happen so that God's plan and purposes would be accomplished. We're going to look at that in more detail in one of the last messages in Revelation 17, 17. If you want to write that down, you can look at that later on. But God has a way that he works. What about Joseph as a slave and a prisoner in Egypt? Well, the prisoner, prison keeper was favorable to Joseph. Let's well, think about that a minute. Here's Joseph. He just got done with his, uh, um, his time learning how to oversee a house in Potiphar's house. Now he's in the prison. Well, he would have learned tremendous administrative skills in both Potiphar's house and serving under the prison guard. And the Lord would use those tremendous administrative skills to preserve the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when he was second in command. But those didn't come naturally. He had to learn those, and he learned those as a slave and then as a prisoner who was a slave. What about the butler and the baker? When they offended Pharaoh, they just happened to be. Look at chapter 40 and verse 3. This isn't the only prison that Pharaoh had. Chapter 40, verse 3. Let's look at verse 2. Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief butler and the chief baker. So he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison. Look at this last expression. The place where Joseph was confined. Did that just happen to be? Just happenstance? Just luck? Blind luck? No. This is the Lord directing the prison guard and all the things that are going on so that this is where they happen to be. And then the butler just happened to forget about Joseph, chapter 40 and verse 23. Then number four, when Joseph becomes second in command to Pharaoh, 
The butler remembered Joseph right at this point. I mean, he'd forgotten about Joseph. Pharaoh's having these dreams. His magicians and astrologers, they can't interpret the dream. And then the butler just happens to do what? Remember right then about there was this guy when I was in prison and he interpreted my dream and it happened exactly like God said. And so the butler told Pharaoh and Pharaoh, from Egypt perspective, Pharaoh was God on earth. Pharaoh didn't know, didn't care, didn't think anything about the true God. All Pharaoh was concerned about was his continuing as Pharaoh and the livelihood of his country. That's all he's concerned about. His empire's survival. And so he appoints Joseph as second in command to preserve his country. And those seven years of plenty and famine happen exactly as Pharaoh dreamed. Now, let's stop a minute and talk about finances and budgeting, shall we? What? You might say. I wasn't expecting that. When there are great productive times, you get flushed with a lot of money. Let me take it out of the realm of you, okay? When most people or governments get a ton of money, what do they do with all this extra money often? They spend it, don't they? They spend it. Saving in productive times is not normal. That is not normal. But rather, it's, well, indulgence. Spend more. Get more. God's wisdom through Joseph right then, at that time, resulted in saving, yes, Egypt, but also Israel. It resulted in saving Israel because all other lands were experiencing the same famine. Look at chapter 41 sometime, verses 56 and 57. Getting back then to Joseph's second command of Egypt, Jacob just happened to hear that there was grain in Egypt. He sends his brothers, the brothers bow down to Joseph. He remembers his dreams. Look at chapter 42. Chapter 42, verse 6. Chapter 42, verse 6. Now Joseph was governor over the land. It was he who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he acted as a stranger to them and spoke roughly to them. Then he said to them, Where do you come from? And they said, From the land of Canaan to buy food. So Joseph's, Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Then Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed about them and said to them, You're spies! You've come to see the nakedness of the land. I think it's at this point Joseph starts to connect the dots. It's at this point Joseph starts to connect the dots. He thinks back to those dreams he had as a 17-year-old. And then I was enslaved. And then I was in Potiphar's house. And then his wife, her lies, the injustice I experienced by Potiphar's hands, those years in the dungeon, the things that I experienced and learned, the butler and the baker... And here I am now elevated. And here's my brothers bowing down exactly as God promised in the dream to me. He's starting to connect the dots and see. I do not think it was as Joseph's going through this, he's, throw, he's sold into slavery. Oh, this is step one of God's plan for my life. He didn't know that. 
He was clueless. It was a mess in understanding. But God sovereignly and providentially accomplished his purposes, not despite life in his sin-cursed world, but through it. Learn that, Christian. You are not a victim, and you are not hopeless, and you are not helpless in this world. God is sovereign and in control. He is sovereign and in control. And he was in control through Jacob's preferential love, his brother's hatred and greed, the Ishmaelite trader's slavery, Potiphar's buying the slaves, the lust and lies of Potiphar's wife, Potiphar's injustice, Pharaoh's peeve that he had with the butler and the baker. He was ticked at him for some reason. We don't know why, but that was all part of God's purpose and plan and working through that. The butler's forgetfulness, the famine, and Joseph's toil and affliction. Look with me at chapter 41, verses 51 to 52. Joseph's toil and affliction was part of God's working through the sin-cursed world to accomplish his purpose and plan. 41, 51, and 52. Joseph called his two sons that, he, that were born to him, called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Joseph was not on just a really long extended summer camp here for 13 to 14 years. It was toil, affliction, heartache, despair, and hardship. How can you know that God worked? Not just despite, but through a sin-cursed world. How can you know that this is not just Pastor Greenfield's personal interpretation of the facts here? Because I have it from God himself, from Joseph himself. Look at chapter 50. Chapter 50 and verse 20. Jacob died. His brothers were afraid that Joseph was finally going to get his revenge. And Joseph speaks to his brothers in chapter 50 and verse 20. Joseph says, But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. This is not just a pastor or a theologian's interpretation of events to fit my theological scheme. What did Joseph say? He said, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Romans 8, 28. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him or are called according to his purpose. God meant it for good. Number four, God's presence with and blessing of his people in a sin-cursed world. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. There was never a time or a circumstance when Joseph was on his own. There was never a time when he was on his own. He may have felt abandoned, but the Lord was with him. There was never a situation when he was not without God's care and God's protection. He may have felt that way, but he was always in God's hands. He was always in the middle of God's 
will. Think about that. He was always in the middle of God's will, even though he didn't understand it. Some lessons we need to learn there. How we feel. What we think. This doesn't make sense. Who do we need to look to? The one who is in control. The one who does love us. Number two, he was a successful man. The Lord made everything that he did to prosper. We saw that with Potiphar and when he was jailed. And there's a lot that we need to try to see and understand about God's providential control through this. Well, Joseph's attitude. He worked as a slave. He worked hard. He learned some administrative abilities under Potiphar and the keeper of the prison. The Lord caused Joseph to find favor in the sight of Potiphar and the prison keeper. All these things are wrapped up in there. But let's dig a little deeper. Let's consider what did it mean to be an overseer in Potiphar's house and have God bless it all? I mean, what does that mean? We read it, just a few words on a page, but what's involved with that? Well, Potiphar, as a wealthy individual, had, would have had great fields and flocks and servants other slaves, and who is in charge of all that stuff? And by the way, they didn't have utilities of natural gas and water and electricity running to Potiphar's house back then, did they? So they would have had to have water brought in from someplace, fanning for cooling, slaves to do that, getting material for clothing. Who was in charge of all this? Joseph was. Joseph was in charge of all that. Even entertainment and finances. Joseph was in charge of all of that. And what do we read? What did we read? Go back to chapter 39. Genesis chapter 39. What did we read in verse 3? 39.3. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hands. It didn't merely happen because Joseph did it. Who brought the blessing? God did that. What about life in a prison? I really don't want to try to imagine life in prison now. Prisons back then... They were real prisons, not like the prisons that we have now where you have all this, you know, all that, all their stuff, your TV and air conditioning and whatnot. No. Those prisoners, though, they would need to be fed. They needed to have water. They needed to have uh, places where they would go, their sentence of term, perhaps their punishments that were involved there. He would have had to deal with prisoner issues, prison guard rotations, finances, all the things. The prison keeper entrusted it all to Joseph. And what was the result of that? Chapter 39, verse 23. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. This is God's providence. He directs all things to accomplish his desired will and end. Number five, Joseph's faith in God 
in a sin-cursed world. My message here today is primarily aimed at helping you see it. That God is sovereign. He is in control. To understand it. To believe it. Okay? That circumstances are not out of control. They're not just happening. But they're fulfilling his purposes. But you must see that Joseph's faith in the true God controlled his life. Joseph's faith in the true God controlled his life, even though he was largely in the dark. So how so? Next week's message in Job, I'm going to look more at how should we live in the sin-cursed world. But I want, to, I want us to see, we must see, how did Joseph respond? A few things real quick. What about Potiphar's wife? He refused to sin with her. Refused to do it. What about the dreams of the, but the butler, the baker, and Pharaoh? Who did Joseph depend on? He said, the interpretation of dreams belongs to whom? God. He looked to God. He trusted in God. When he had these two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, what did he do? He praised the Lord through the naming of his sons. He praised the Lord through the naming of his sons. He didn't turn from the Lord. He trusted in God. I am not saying that Joseph never said, Why God? I'm sure he did. But he never once, finally, and forever turned away from God and forsook God. He persevered in the faith. Two more real quick. One that's probably one of the greatest ones that we need to see a lesson to learn from how Joseph lived is that he loved his brothers and did not hate them. He loved his brothers and he did not hate them. Did Joseph go through some difficult circumstances because seemingly of his brothers? Yeah. But difficult circumstances are never an excuse for faithless living. That is a lesson and a truth that you must know and learn. Just because you're going through a hard time, it is never an excuse to sin. It's never an excuse to not be faithful to the Lord. Joseph worked hard. He refused temptation to immorality. He didn't harbor ill will. He obeyed the Lord. One last thing here, under this point. He recognized God's providence. He recognized God's providence. Two key things that Joseph says here that I want us to see. Turn with me to chapter 45, verses 5 through 8. Chapter 45, verses 5 through 8. Note the parts that I will try to emphasize. They're important for us to understand and learn about our God. Chapter 45, verse 5. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph, does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near me. 
So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. He's saying God worked through your sinful intent to accomplish his purposes. That's what he's saying here. Verse 6. For these two years the famine has been in the land and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. And so now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. The other passage I was going to read was chapter 50, verse 20, that I just read a few minutes ago. Chapter 50 and verse 20, where Joseph said, You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people. I also would have you note on the front of your bulletins. So take out your bulletins here. Another word from God about this entire situation from Psalm 100. Five, verses 16 to 22. The Lord called for a famine in the land. He destroyed all the provision of bread. He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. And let me just stop there. Who's the subject of these sentences? The Lord, the Lord, the Lord. And they hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons. Until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the people let him go free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of his possessions to bind his his princes at his pleasure and teach his elders wisdom. Dear friend, there is nothing in this world that is random. Nothing that just happens all on its own. No one but God has absolute freedom. God is sovereign over human hearts. And you must bow before this God. You must repent of your sin before this God. You must look to Jesus, the only Savior, who can make things right before you in this God. You've got to stop thinking, if you are without Christ in this world, you've got to stop thinking you're in control of life, you can do however you want, you are not. God knows your heart better than you know it yourself. And God's will for you right now is repent and trust in Jesus Christ. Christian, as you live in the sin-cursed world with its pain, its injustices, its grief, the separations, the loneliness, the horror, and the hard times, In your pain and hardship, you must understand and know who God is. He does work all things together for good to those who love him, who are called according to his purpose, knowing that no one can separate you from the love of God. Praise the Lord for who our God is and that he never makes any mistakes. May the Lord help us to trust him. 
and to be faithful to him. Let's pray.